Hello there fanboys and fangirls and everyone in between. This is The Doctor talking. This podcast is brought to you by the Nerdy Punk Studios and is a proud member of the Discussing Network. Alright, Alonzi. You are now entering the Phantom Squad Podcast. Enjoy the madness. Hey everyone, this is going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad Podcast. My guest this week is the awesome musician and bassist, Matt Nevesky. Thank you, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Awesome, thanks for coming on, man. So, uh, the first thing, so we, uh, like I said, uh, the inter- I had it posted the uh, where I talked it on the other podcast, the You Suck Network. So good to uh, talk to you again, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. It's good to see you again, for sure. That was a that was a fun chat last time. So glad to glad to reconnect. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, for those who didn't listen to the episode, this is going to be uh, awesome one on one this time. <laughs> yes, one on one. There you go. No, no holds barred. Nothing off limits. Yes. <laughs> Now, for those not listening, if you don't know right now, uh, we're uh, we're recording. You guys, Blue October is actually on tour right now. Yeah, we are, actually. We're about two weeks into our tour, and it's been, you know, like a lot of people, uh, well, definitely in the musician world, like everyone, this is like our first kind of reintroduction into society you know it's like being a caged animal for two years and then you get let back into the wild you know so minimal hiccups so far which is really good but um it's it's different it's a different tour for sure we're kind of living in a bubble this whole tour where we're like not going out and like eating in restaurants and hanging out with family and friends and like we're just really focused on staying safe and making sure we get through the tour. So it's been a challenge, but it's also been so amazing to get back out and play again. I can't even I can't even begin to put that into words. Like that's everything. Yes, for sure. I know it has to be especially weird. Like I know like I know you guys are used to, you know, more being I guess like being on tour that more of a going out and experience with the fans that you're seeing at your shows. I know that's a weird new thing being more staying in your hotel room. It's to be honest with you, it's a completely new thing, you know, and it's been, I mean, I've been with the band for over 22 years now, almost 23 years. And like a huge part of when we go on tour is we take a lot of time to go hang out with people. You know, we like, we don't, a lot of bands just kind of go do their thing and then they like, whatever they like, you know, get in their vehicle and like, I remember playing with a big band and it was funny because I'm not going to say who it was, but everybody in the band got a different vehicle. One guy got a tour bus, one guy got in a limo, one guy got in a plane, you know, it was like they all went separate ways. And I was like, Oh, that's lame. (laughs) You know, together, you know, we spent a lot of time together, but we really enjoy getting to like spend time with kind of our road family. You know, there's so many people that we're friends with and that we've met along the way. And then like a huge part of our show is spending time with interacting with people one-on-one and hearing their stories you know and like listening to why they care and why they show up and it's like it kind of fuels us it kind of keeps us going so this has been a huge adjustment and it's okay i mean it is what it is because we're doing it all for the for the you know just the overall situation we kind of got to do what we got to do but i'm also like 
really looking forward to the day that these restrictions get lifted for sure. Yes. People. Now, how was that affected? Like, are you guys still doing like the uh, the VIP or meet and greets or is that kind of uh, is that kind of just out the window at this point? That's actually a really good question. So normally with a meet and greet, it is a meet and greet. You know, it's a very, it's like you shake hands, you take pictures all together. But we, what we're doing is kind of just a safer version of that. It's a sound check experience. Um, it's, it's very similar to a meet and greet. Uh, but what it is, is we have people come in and we play a couple songs for them, you know, on stage. And then we get we let them do a full Q and A. So like anybody that's in the crowd gets to ask anything they want. And Justin's really really clear that like you can ask us anything. Like seriously, it can be uncomfortable, it can be awkward, it can be weird. It doesn't matter. Like feel free to ask anything you want. And because because we're pretty much an open book in that sense, you know. So like we get to do that. And then when we take pictures, we take the pictures. We just sit on the stage, and they come down in front of the barricade. And that's kind of the best we can do right now, you know, but it's still really fun, man. It's still really cool. Like the Q&A part of it's a lot of fun. That's so awesome. Now, I know like since you guys have been around for a while, is it, have you guys been seeing sort of like, I know it's some other bands of, you know, your of your generation, like seeing the different generational of like the, the punk kids who now have kids who are coming to your shows. Like, is that, do y'all see that generational thing? Oh man, it's awesome. Like w- one thing with us, and I've had a lot of people that are kind of newbies, you know, that are like friends of mine or family or whatever that come out to shows. They're like, there's not really a market with you. Like there's, n- I mean, there is a market. There's just not really like a specific demographic with your crowds. It's weird. Like you're you just, your fans are just like all over the place. Like you have little kids to grandparents, you know, and like our crowd has always been really, really diverse in that sense, which is a good thing. Um, but the cool thing is, is like, you know, when you like kind of go back into like, you know, the old days when we would tour and we would go to like, like Omaha, for example, was kind of like a home away from home for us for a long time. So we would go to Omaha and we made all these friends back in the day. And those, uh, people that we were friends with then still come to shows, but they're bringing their kids now. And so their kids are like extended family you know what i mean so that's pretty crazy man like that's pretty wild for sure like this whole new generation you know like showing up to our shows and like becoming fans and stuff like it's pretty awesome the other thing that's kind of that's kind of funny and i've been talking about this a lot lately for some reason but when we do festival shows we're kind of like the the older dudes now on the festivals so like we'll play with bands and it's funny because like you know back in the day it was like we were just trying to fit in you know and now it's like these bands are all like oh man i grew up on you guys or like you know like, you're my older sister's favorite band growing up you know so it's like we're, we're, we're like the 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 uh the legacy band or something you know which is hilarious man i i think it's awesome personally I oh yeah I, I think it was uh who i think it was like a fred durst of limp biscuit recently did the concert looking like the yeah. old man with the cargo shorts and i think i loved yeah. and they're like having the kids in the audience for google like who is limp biscuit <laughs> it's so funny you know what though 
I gotta tell you, I, I think it really was smart and I think it really worked because I have been talking about Limp Bizkit more in the last two months than I have in the last 10 years. Seriously, like oh, yeah, Limp Bizkit has over again and it's like, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. It really is. Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, they had to know meme culture now with like, you know, the generations with memes and they like, hmm. We can. We, I, th- I can see this becoming something like a vir- like a virtual meme or something. So I know they had the idea. So and it it, it hit it off perfect because it was like so many memes. Me and my buddy were like, "Dude, did you see the the, the Fred Durst thing with the dad shorts?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely meme city for sure, man. But you, you one thing I've, you got to really respect about all of those guys. Like I really like the I, I I really like all of them individually as musicians too. Like I'm a big Sam Rivers fan and. Um, and I actually really like, uh, this, this younger kid that was drumming for him on this last tour named Brandon Pertzborn. <clears throat> and I'm a huge fan of his, so I love seeing him get that opportunity. But like, I feel like they're very, like, they don't take themselves too seriously at all, you know? And you gotta, you gotta love that, man. You gotta respect, like, when you see a band, like, you know, like, I mean, I guess I'm talking shit, but like you think about like Creed back in the day, you know, it was like Scott Stapp was really serious about his, yes. you know what I mean? Like he got real upset when people give him a hard time. Fred Durst is not like that, man. Like Wes Borland is like, he's hilarious. Like, I mean, you like I follow both of them and like on Instagram and I think they're both so funny. They're just funny dudes. Oh, yeah, like, I think he was even, like, as just a joke, like, I think he did a, it's like a Subway commercial or something that Fred did, like, before <laughs> that, and me and my brother were like, oh, shit, there's Fred, I haven't seen him in a while, it's like, huh, he's doing Subway yeah. commercials now. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man, like, I, I, re- I respect that, personally, I think that's fantastic, man, like, you can't take things too seriously, you just can't. Or uh, there are now, which makes me laugh, or like the the controversy with like the new kids, like okay, we're gonna defend the old band, like the whole uh, Machine Gun Kelly and Slipknot situation. Oh, He's like, yeah. he thought all the young kids were gonna be on his side, and they're like, um, no, we're gonna we're gonna settle with Slipknot. Uh, did you see the crap you did? No, no, no. Uh, I saw a thing. Yeah. It was a, a meme where it has one guy recording the other one, and it's just like the guy beating the crap out of the other one. It's like. Eminem fans watching Slipknot fans beat up Machine Gun Kelly. (laughs) That's so funny, man. I feel like that's like one thing you just don't like. I don't care how cool you think you are or like if you think that you've got like the whole like the young generation unlocked, whatever that is. Like you just don't mess with Slipknot. You just don't do that. Like that is not that is territory that is very dangerous. Like I would never ever suggest ever doing that. That to me is pure stupidity, to be honest with you. But like, why on earth would you even go there? It's, it's one of those, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, that same argument. Like it's just like, oh, the Beatles didn't create the music industry that we are. And it's like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna say like, you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly, man. Yeah, it's I like, a, oh, that. they wear 50 year old dudes in masks. Like, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's kind of their thing. Like, yeah. uh, it's like, yeah, it's a uh, kiss wore makeup for uh 40 years. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's kind of what made I, them unique. <laughs> I like I 
I I remember being a kid and I have an older brother who's a musician. And then like, you know, so I was always kind of just trying to fit in with my older brother and all of his friends and like and my cousins and everything. And like Kiss was not a band when I was a kid. Kiss was a lifestyle. Kiss was like there was Kiss bubblegum and cards and cereal and movies. And like it was like, I mean, yeah, Gene Simmons is a marketing machine. But at the same time, like, dude, that that was like, I remember I remember staying up late getting to watch Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Opera, which is a terrible movie. But getting up to you know like late and getting being so excited to watch it because they were just like it's like they weren't even real, you know. That was like they were just just gods, you know. And and like to me, like I think that there's kind of in this day and age, and I sound like a crotchety old guy, but like there's a lot of mystique that's gone with music now and being an artist, you know, because it's like, Hey, look at me. I'm on every platform on social media. Hey, check it out. I'm on the toilet. Hey, check it out. I just woke up. Hey, check it out. I'm, you know, it's like, okay, well, um, it would be kind of awesome if I didn't know everything that you were doing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, uh, I kind of miss that, you know? And like, Bands like Slipknot, if they carried that torch, man, you know, they wore the masks and they went out there and they were larger than life. And you got to love that. Oh, yeah. Like my dad, he was uh, he has stories of that because he was part of that Kiss Army back in the day. Like one of his first concerts when he was, I think, like 14 was Kiss and ACDC here in Atlanta. And uh, I always I I got his flyers that my grandma saved. It was like for five dollars. You got, I think, an album for the Kiss Army. You got like an album, a belt buckle, like and a bunch of other crap for like five dollars. And I was like, dude, what the hell? Holy crap. And I was like, what happened to the belt buckle? And my grandma goes, your dad wore that belt buckle so much that the vinyl sticker that it was pretty much made out of was wore out and just became a metal belt. Like she's like, there's pictures of them and like at church. And it's just like it came off. I remember it. I remember it, the logo. It was the logo, and I remember it was like gold and red, and it was shiny, but it was really just a sticker, right, on a belt buckle, like, yeah. like a vinyl. Yeah, my brother had that, man. I remember that thing clear as day. That was like his most prized possession. Oh, and she showed me. She was like, yeah, your dad never, your dad wore that to everything. She's like, there's pictures of us for church in the 1970s garb, and it's like poofy hair and just the plaid pants and just this big old kiss platinum silver belt buckle and i'm like that's amazing i love that that, man i think that's you know i think that's fantastic i do i actually you know uh speaking of of getting opportunities to play with other bands like one of my fondest memories is actually we got to play with kiss we got to open for kiss in quebec in um oh man 2000 oh my god and like growing up really like you know, like the, the rest of us, especially I would say at that time, probably Ryan and myself, because Ryan's older brother was Kiss fanatic as well. And so was mine. It was so surreal to us to be playing with them and like going up to, you know, flying in it was in Canada and then like going into the dressing room. And then all of a sudden, like Paul Stanley, like knocks on the door, you know, he's like, you know, hey, fellows, how's it going? You know, it's like, what is happening right now? And then, like, we played our show, and it was incredible. It was at this thing called Festival du Quebec, which is in front of, like, 60,000 people. It was so cool. But we got done, and there was something going on with Kiss's uh, – I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was, like, a contraption or, like, an audio thing or something. But they had, like, a 15-minute delay. 
So I got to hang out and just talk to Gene in full costume. And, and their oh, manager, Doc, he was there. And so I'm like just standing there with, with our guitar CB talking to Gene for like 15 minutes, just having a normal conversation while he's there in his giant boots and his demon <laughs> outfit. You know, having a regular conversation and he gets done. And the first thing I did was I ran into our dressing room and I called my brother. I was like, he <laughs> just did. And he was just like, I love you, but you don't deserve this. <laughs> it's not fair. Oh, man. What an uh, experience. That is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, I know. And I've, I've heard lots of stories that they're very like, even though they're like one of the biggest bands of all time, like they are sh- professional. Like when it comes to like their shows, like, like it has to be on point. Perfect. Like we're going to give a show no matter what. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big deal, man. They take it very seriously. I I felt like they like it was very, very smoothly run. Um, you know, we've been parts of other shows with bigger bands where not that it's unorganized or anything, but it's kind of chaotic. You know, like it's there's just a lot of like we did one show in particular where it was like it was so cool to be there. And, and then all of a sudden it was like, OK, well, the headliners on and it was like, well, let's go watch. And they're like, oh, no, you don't get to watch. Oh, like, my wait, God. Really? Like, oh, yeah, no. There's no comp seats. You have to buy seats. It's like, wait, what? And that was that was like, okay, wish we had known that. But then with Kiss, like it was very smooth and they were cool and they were very friendly to us, to their own like and I remember reading actually uh uh I can't remember if it was Getty or who it was, but somebody from Rush talked about that, about how Kiss when they took them out back in the 70s they were used to being treated like crap as an opener and they said kiss was totally different to them you know like they treated them really good and they were very good to their openers and i have to say i felt like even though it was one show they were like that with us they were so friendly and so cool and we got to hang, take pictures and everything and then like when they went on we got to go right down in the pit like right down in front of the stage you know so like these dudes are like taking photos oh, and we're just man. and it was like you know breathing fire and of course they're like you know they see the photographers and they're totally hamming it up for the photos you know like getting down and like i mean but i gotta say too like i, I how old were those guys in 2009 like they're in their 70s or something you know oh, yeah though. yeah tearing it up man it sounded phenomenal so good oh yeah they're 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 beasts when it comes to their playing like it's it's unbelievable like i've just saw him i think like gene simmons i found out uh, what it was i think it was an album from like 2004, 2005, and I was like, I've never heard of this. I think it was called Asshole, his like solo album. And I was like, holy shit, to be 2004, the dude's like 60 something in this. And you're just like, whoa. It's like the same with Ozzy Osbourne. Like that oh, guy, yeah. just like he has all like talks like a mumbling idiot other times that when he comes on the mic and just sings, you're like, he comes holy alive. shit, yeah. dude. Like that man is like 72 and he still can hit hardcore notes like this. Like yeah. ordinary man, like that album is just phenomenal. Yeah, Ozzy, uh, we actually work a lot with Tim Palmer, uh, producer, mixer, engineer, really good friend of ours. And uh, Tim worked with Ozzy quite a bit and he's had some great Ozzy stories, but like same thing, like nothing, you know, nothing but respect for Ozzy. Like he's so professional and and such a sweet good human being on top of that too he really is like a really yeah he's like prince of darkness but he's also like the sweetest guy ever you know but he um 
uh, yeah, he like comes alive, man. It's like you can't understand a word he's saying, and then he gets on on stage, and like the lights come on, and all of a sudden he just comes to life. You know, it's like some people are born for that, man. Oh yeah, I guess it's I kind of to that same one because I'm a I'm a musician and singer myself, and like I've always had like social anxiety and stuff, but like I could never when I like when I used to like play in the praise band for my church back in the day in high school, like. I couldn't get up and say a speech or like say a prayer, but like when I would sing, I was fine. Like it was like two yeah. separate sides of my brain. Like I can get up and perform and sing in front of like 600 people, but let me read something from a passage like, oh God, my anxiety, I'm going to freak yeah. out. So it's like two yeah. sides of your brain. So it's it's so weird how that works. And I guess it's just in that mindset, you're like, okay, I can, I'm free and open. And I can just do, I know what I got to do yeah. vocal wise. Right, right, right. I think I think there's kind of a like a with some people there's a personality switch too, you know, where it's kind of like acting, you know, you get on stage. Like I did a lot of theater when I was in middle school and high school, and there's just like endorphins that kick in, and you just become a different person, you know. And all of a sudden, it's like you might be the quietest, shyest, most anxiety-ridden person in the world, and then you get into character, and you're somebody else. You know, and a lot of times vocally, that's the same thing. When you're singing and you're on stage, you just turn into somebody else, you know, and some people really have a gift for that, for sure. Oh, yeah, that was definitely how it was for me. I sort of had a little ritual that they always make fun of. I was like, okay, I need five minutes to do my little mind meditation over here in the corner. Oh, yeah. And then when it's time for showtime, like when I'm up there, it's I'm good to go. Like I'm ready to let it all out. Yeah, I think that's totally necessary. I think having that that peace and quiet and, you know, we uh, we've we've got our own rituals as well, for sure. You know, when we're on when we're on the road, and we're on tour. And I think they're all very helpful. I think the older that we get too, the more serious we take those things, you know, like how we take care of ourselves, what we put in our bodies. And, you know, it was kind of a free for all you know, 20 years ago, you know. Yes. Wake up at four, play a show, party do it again. <laughs> you know? What is the the difference, like the contrast of, uh, you know, being the sober versus the non-sober versions of the band touring? Well, one, one thing, uh, that's actually a really good question. I, li- I like that a lot because I think it's a, it's incredibly, like, crucial to sort of our identity as a band, especially right now, you know? Like, that's, a, like, sobriety is, is a, it's, it's not a theme, it's a life, you know what I mean? It's yes. It's really important. And, and I think having three guys in the band who, are in recovery um you can't help but all come together as a team and you have to make a decision are we all going to support each other and hold each other up or are you going to have one guy that's a fuck up and like you know what i mean like you just can't do that was where we're at like you can't have somebody be an idiot you know and like everybody's got to be on the same page and then that extends into the crew too because everybody's on one bus you know like we're all together we're all in you know small confines especially right now you know, it's yes. like hang out with each other and that's it, you know? So we all have to be on the same page. And I, I say a lot, I do say this to a lot of people because I do a lot of other, like, I don't do a lot of, I don't like tour with other bands or anything, but I do a ton of session work with other bands. Like I play yes. a lot of other records and, and I love doing that and it's fun and it's, and it's easy, and it's easy for me to do. But like one thing I joke around with is like I've done some fill-in gigs with some friends of mine and I have to be really careful about that because like my friend Casey McPherson, I filled in with Alpha Rev and I'm like, I can do this because we're all sober and like we're all like on the same wavelength. Like if I had 
some like metal band that was in their early 20s say hey do you want to come out and do two weeks with us on tour i probably wouldn't be able to do it you know what i mean just because and not because the music wouldn't be fun and cool just because like the lifestyle just isn't for me you know so i like i i feel like for us the contrast is pretty like massive you know like we used to we used to do a lot of dumb stuff for sure yes individually and collectively <laughs> but like i think that because we're all we've been together for so long and we're so close that we really are family we went through all those ups and downs together to get to this place to where we are now where we're very careful about who we bring into our circle you know like yeah having people who just aren't who don't understand or respect the lifestyle that we lead and live uh we're just very selective about that very careful about that even down to like people like wanting to come hang out or like a friend of a friend that wants to come on the bus or like somebody that's a friend of the family or something man if they don't get it they're not allowed so yeah that that's awesome that you guys have the you know have that that's because i know that's a big thing struggle when it comes to certain bands of like yeah, man, like one guy's always like, you know what, I can't do this. Fuck all y'all. So it's good that you guys have that, you know, that you all have that agreement with each other. Right. Now, with that is too, like, uh, with that, I don't know if Justin does mainly the writing. Like, how is that? I know, like, a lot of the times in rock and roll, it's a lot of sex, drugs, and alcohol. You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. How has that affected, you know, all the sobriety? How has that affected the writing and the songs that you guys produce? For sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I like to say that every one of our albums, like all those songs, for the most part, really do fit together. You know, it's like different snapshots in time. Yes. Because you know, like you go to a record like Consent to Treatment, and that was very much who we were back then, you know, writing about about things like mental health and like, but kind of being kids at the same time, you know, and like a lot of wonderment and like just a lot of having a lot of questions about things, you know, and then you get older all the way up to like take an album like Any Man in America, where it's very, very angry, you know, but also a lot of pain and a lot of like figuring out how to work through pain and work through things like custody battles and stuff like that. And but then like to the last couple albums, which are very much more kind of romantic almost you know like very much about family and very much about relationships and very much about finding like seeing the love you know and seeing like the the, the it's okay to tell somebody you love them or it's okay to to sort of strip down your walls and let you let your feelings take over and be, just be who you are instead of like oh i have to be this cool rock and roll guy you know it's like yes not really who we are you know like we're very I, somebody said once, and I don't remember who it was, but somebody was like, you guys are like a reality band. <laughs> <laughs> reality show. And I was like, I like that. I think that's cool. You know, like, and that's probably, you know, to be honest, like, not that I don't like listening to music that's about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, because, like, I still love, like, Three Days by Jane's Addiction, still one of my favorites. Yes ever you know so like i get that but i also think there's something to be said for like just total honesty you know and i think that that's what uh, the place that our songs come from and i think that's why people connect with them for sure 
Oh yeah, it's that same thing. I guess it's your writing based on what your experience. Like that same thing at the time, like with Motley Crue and you know, Kickstart My Heart and all that. They yeah. were writing what they were doing. Like if you listen to, if uh, I've read the, I've listened to the audio and haven't seen the movie, but I listened to the audio version of The Dirt and like yeah. that's what they were doing. Like I think there's a story like where uh, I think Guns N' Roses manager like sent them a note and was like, "Hey, uh, can you stop partying with our guys?" Like. They can't do their show for the next day because they're all so passed out drunk trying to out drink and out drug you guys. Right. They can't do a show. So can y'all not hang out? Yeah. Can you just chill, just back off a little bit? That's really funny, man. The Dirt, I, one of, that's one of my, I'm a big uh, like music biography nerd. I love, I've read yes. even artists that I'm like, man, eh, I'm kind of ho-hum about. I'll still read, you know, just because I, I love knowing their where they're, where they're coming from and their history and how they got into it and everything and their experiences. And the dirt's one of my all time favorites, man. That book is so well done. And there are stories in there that are like, there's no way that can be true, but they are, you know, it's like the, the fact that those guys lived through what they did is just mine. And they're still alive. <laughs> but, but I will say, uh, you know, I have I like all of them, but Nikki in particular, I have a ton of respect for. That guy has really embraced his sobriety and really embraced like, hey, don't be ashamed of who you are and what your past is. Like embrace it. You know what I mean? But try to do the right thing. And I really I like him a lot. I I, I really respect him a lot. Oh yeah, and there's a lot that's in that book that you never knew about. Like I know the story, like with uh, with Vince with his daughter with the cancer. Like I never knew that, and I was like, oh, yeah. "Whoa, holy crap!" Made you tear up. Like when I heard it, like they didn't have them reading, but the voice actors they have sound just like them. And I was like, wow. had me in tears in the car just hearing that story. And yeah. uh, if you're into that documentary thing, there's a podcast I just got into. It's uh, David Allen Coe's son, Tyler uh, Mahan Coe. And it's okay. called, uh, what is it? It's uh, Cocaine and Rhinestones. Oh, wow. And it's about the the legend of, like, uh, country music from, like, the beginning until, like, the 2000s. It just talks about, you know, like, Buck Owens and a lot of those people that formed what we know as, like, the country music scene and, like, the outlaws. And it's a really good, like, documentary podcast. It's really, oh, I yeah. recommend if you're into that. so up my alley. So up my alley. I need, I need some new material too, man. I'm, I just finished, uh, in the dark, the second season of in the dark. Oh, yes. Oh, good, man. But I like something more, uh, I need to shift to something music related. That sounds really cool. Thank you for the recommendation. For sure. Oh yeah. How I found it. There's a YouTube that I watch uh, called good mythical morning and he had the shirt on and I was like, what is cocaine and rhinestones yeah. and then i looked it up and i was like oh this is cool and i was like, and he talks about it because it's a lot of stories that he heard from his dad you know being on the the outlaw country scene for years growing up wow yeah that's cool and See, he goes into detail like he has you know like all the history of like it's just so detailed of like it's like a documentary basically it's like in your ear so it's it's great I love that. Yeah, that's great. And that see, that's proof that merch is always a good idea, right? Get shirts, man. Get your logo on them shirts. Get the get that stuff out there for sure. Oh yeah, and if you, it looks like old, like uh, the old Willie Nelson type of Waylon Jennings type artwork, so it's that old florally kind of outlaw Johnny Cash type look. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, so. Uh, Back into like when like you forming yourself like how did like 
I know we talked on the other one about like growing up and like, you know, in Detroit and stuff, how did like, what influenced you like the bands and people like in that area, like, you know, like Elvis Presley, stuff like that in that area, like what all inspired you to, you know, want to become a bassist? (laughs) Well, so bass in particular, actually, um, you know, I always joke that like, there's kind of two types of bass players. There's the bass player that was the shittiest guitar player in the band. And then there's the bass player who's like really actually wanted to play bass and not, I mean, maybe I am the shittiest guitar player in the band, but I also like, I picked bass, you know, like I was more drawn to it for sure. So when I was, uh, maybe 11, 11 or 12, a friend of mine had a bass and he never played it. And so he just let me take it and I never gave it back. And I just never get, it. I still owe it to him to this day. I don't know where he is, but, but, um, but it wasn't foreign to me though, because I had two uncles who were both bass players and they were both very good and they gigged a lot and from different sides of the family. But my uncle, Jim Noveski, my dad's brother, who just passed away a couple years ago was, uh, like I got to see him a lot. I got to see his band a lot when I was a kid and I got to go watch him play. And I just remember like thinking like that instrument's so cool. Like you kind of get to play drums and guitar at the same time. And like tonally just the, the roundness of it, the low end, like I was just always more drawn to that, you know? And then like, I guess as a kid listening to Motown and growing up on Detroit Motown, James Jamerson and Larry Graham style bass playing, you know, like that was a big deal to me. Um, but I always listened for that, man. And then I got into the Chili Peppers and I loved Flea's bass lines and, you know, and I and then Primus and bands like that later that are a little more lead bass. But to me, bass was just always more pleasing to my ear, you know, and it seemed like everybody in the world wanted to be a guitar player. Um, I don't know, like I didn't, I didn't really have interest in playing. And plus, honestly, I tried playing a six string electric, uh, right about the same time I got that bass from my friend Adam. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. to. I don't like it. Like, it feels weird. I don't like playing chords and I don't like, you know, it just wasn't, you know, so like, I mean, I know enough now to get by and write songs, but like bass just felt very natural to me. I felt really comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, so like, but I also feel like as, you know, growing up where I did, that had a huge part of why I chose bass. Like, no, there weren't a lot of other bass players where I was at. So you got a lot of opportunities being a bass player. But like, also, again, listen to Motown, man. It's like the bass is the backbone of those songs, you know, and like, it just is what it is, you know. Oh, yeah. And you've always heard, I know, like, I know for you as a producer making music as well, like, I've always heard that, like, the bass player is, you know, the producer at a live, when you're doing live, the bass player is the producer to keep, you know, on spot, like, every guitar player rushes. So, like, you know, yeah. the bass one is the one that keeps, you know, everybody in line and in check so the drummer and the guitar player can be together. So how does that mesh for you, like being the, you know, producer on stage versus, you know, producer behind the scenes? Uh, I would I would say um, I agree with that sentiment. And a lot of my friends and I joke about how like bass players just become producers a lot. And I think it's because as the bass player, you're 
like you you when you think about everybody's role in the band like as the bass player you're really kind of holding it down right you're really kind of gluing everything together and you're really making sure that like you're sinking in with the kick drum and the snare and the subdivisions with the drums but then you're also sort of pulling the guitars back in and you're making sure that you're you know maybe providing a little bit of counter melody to the vocal but you're letting the vocal really do its thing and so you have to be hyper aware of what everyone else is doing when you're the bass player in a band it can't just be hey like you know here's my in-ears blast me in my ears screw everybody else i'm gonna shred like that's not really what a bass player is there to do you know so so as a bass player you kind of get trained to like okay well how does this work with that and then how does that work in relation to this and how does that you know and then like how does it all work cohesively together so to me, like, I feel like it's really kind of a no-brainer that, like, it's easier as a bass player to step into a producer role because you're used to listening to everybody else. You know, you're used to listening to the vocals and the lyrics and the and the the rushing guitar and, you know, all of those things. Like, so to me, it's <laughs> a natural thing for sure. Like, I know it was for me, for sure. Yes. Now, do you know if do, did you know if you if you had that natural producer instinct enough? Because I know I've had somebody's like, oh, you're basically do what a producer does. I, I had a story where I was in that band and I didn't know how to play all the instruments, but I was like, OK, I taught them how to play Bohemian Rhapsody by just going, OK, give me this note, play this right here to the drummer. Give me this, play that on this note when he's playing this and then so on and so on. They're like, oh, where's the sheet music? And they're like. I was like, oh, we don't have sheet music. I just showed them how to do it. And then I did vocals and they were like, oh, and somebody was like, oh, dude, that's exactly what a producer does. You have that intuition. For sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't know, to be honest with you, I didn't know that I did. We were making uh, Consent to Treatment, which was our first major label record. Because we went out to LA and we worked with a producer, this guy named Nick Launay, who I still just adore. He's amazing. Um, and he gets to do the coolest stuff. He works with like Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and all these just like super like bands that are just w- way cooler than everybody else. And and so like working with Nick and getting to know him and watching how he worked was very, it was pretty mind blowing to me because like before that I was like, I don't know what a producer is. Like, I don't know what does a producer do, you know, like, are they just there to make sure we're on time or I don't know, you know, working working with him was really eye opening to me because I was like, Oh, okay. Well, like, I don't know how to engineer and I don't know how to comp vocals and all these other things, you know, back then I was like, I don't know any of these things. But at its core, the things that he's doing and the things that he's helping us with are things that I agree with and that I can see. And like, and I say to this day, you don't really hire a producer to like set up the nicest microphone and get the best sounding thing. You set up a producer to have a sixth sense about your music. You hire a producer to be there to be the voice of reason and somebody who can help you hear things that you don't hear yourself in your own music. And that's what Nick did with us. And so that made me go, you know what? I think I can do that too. And uh, and so when I started working with other bands, like the first band I ever really worked with, I just did pre-production with them. They were called CPX. And it was a punk rock band from Detroit. 
and I got to go up and just do pre-production with him. And I realized I was like, man, like now that you guys are going in the studio, I wish I was going in the studio with you because I feel like we just nailed it, you know, and like we became really yes. friends and like it was great. And then so after that, I was like, man, next time I'm going to do the studio. I'm not just going to do pre-production. I'm going to go in the studio and actually follow through with an engineer. And that's exactly what I did. And then I just didn't look back from there, you know, like that's that's my hobby, you know, like I, it's kind of lame, but I don't have hobbies like this is just all I do. <laughs> You're like, you're the official, like, music is my life, man. Like, I love and I do all of it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I actually, I I had a, an argument with somebody recently, and I was like, look, I'm not embarrassed about the fact that, like, that music is my identity. You know, like, it is what it is, man. You know, take it or leave it. It just is what it is. And I'm totally fine with that, but it really is my identity. Yes. Now, how was that for you, like, going, you know, being a musician yourself to actually, like, sculpting and, like, helping mold these other musicians to become, like, who they are? Like, how was that process for you? And, like, what are some of the things that, like, you show them that you've learned from your experiences? Um, I love it. I, I love doing it. Like, I really, truly enjoy mentoring, and I really love working with other artists and, like, you know, younger artists that are, like, at all different levels, but are really trying to figure out who they are. Like, I love making records with bands who have been doing it for a while, but I also love making records with people who are making their first real record, you know? Um, there's something about that that's really very gratifying to me. Like, I take a lot of, uh, uh, I just have a lot of gratitude, and I have, a, like, a, a lot of, like, it fills my heart when I, when I finish projects like that, you know? And I'm like, man, that gives me a sense of purpose. Like, that makes me feel really good like working with bands and seeing them happy and like, oh man, we just got to, like we did something that we could not have done otherwise. And like, we're so happy with our new song or our new album or whatever that is. Like being a part of that is so, there's no other feeling like that in the world, man. It's, it's really cool, you know? I, I love doing that, but I also feel like a huge component of that is just trust. And I, yeah. you know, and so to me, like being honest, and staying on course and staying on task with artists, but also going, hey, don't put all these undue pressures on yourself. Don't stress about stuff you can't control. You know what I mean? Worry about the things you do have control over. And more than anything, stop worrying about what everybody thinks about you and stop worrying about being like this person. You be you. You figure, you figure out what it is about you that's different than everybody else and focus on that you know what i mean and make that your number one priority and i feel like i have really good relationships with the artists that i work with because there's a lot of honesty and there's a lot of like truth and a lot of trust you know so and keeping expectations in check as well you know you're not going to become yes overnight. you know it just is what it is Oh, yeah. And I know there's one thing like I know a lot of people don't talk about that. I, I know you probably bring up with them like, you know, like the the mental health side of like, you know, going from like. People and that pressure of like, you know, having thousands of people, you know, screaming your name like that, how that can affect somebody's mental health. You know, I know how explain like like how. You explain that to them or how you've coped with that to explain that experience. Yeah, well, I mean, 
it all really just boils down to what kind of person you are, you know, and I think that as long as you remain humble and true to yourself, you can get through anything and you can figure out how to make that work to your benefit, you know, for sure. Like our, uh, our guitar tech, his name's Pat Ryan. He's, he's been with us on and off for years and years. We're very close with him. He actually has worked with some huge, huge acts, like re like, like the most popular artists you've ever, you know, out there. And he did a tour uh, with the actor Hugh Jackman. Oh, sweet. And the way he talks about Hugh Jackman and how down to earth that guy is, is so refreshing to me. You know, I'm like, there's a guy who has the whole world in his hands. You know, he's got an amazing career, you know, and he's just such a down to earth. He's not a diva about anything. He cares about people. He cares about his crew. He takes time to get to know everybody that works for him. Like, I love hearing that. And I love hearing stories like that. And I feel like he is a really good example of what everybody should really strive to be. Like, I feel like the artists that I've met or that I've had experiences with who maybe have some growing up to do, you know, or don't know how to handle that kind of success, who really think that they're better than everybody just because of the position that they're in. That's a short-lived yeah. It, it is. It's a short-lived thing. And, and I've had experiences with those bands, too, you know, but I can almost kind of spot it and go, yeah, that band's not going to be around in five years. You know what I mean? Like, they'll flame, yeah. you know, or um, they're just going to be miserable or whatever that is, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And like, you're, you're, you're always going to have, you know, both sides of that coin. But I think that when I'm working with artists, I definitely preach like, hey, humility, gratefulness, you know, uh, those are important things. Those are important attributes for sure. And those are things that you want to be really conscious of. Don't ever, ever get in a position where just because you did something that people are praising you for, don't ever start to believe that that makes you a special human being. It doesn't. You may have talent. You may have something to say, and that's a beautiful thing, but you're still a human being. You're still just a normal human being that, that stinks and has bad breath in the morning and uh, you know and like and has all kinds of character defects and flaws and just is what it is oh yeah that's like your experience talking to gene simmons like one of the greatest bass players of all time and you're like yeah we just chatted for just talking about bass guitar for like Talk 20 minutes yeah well, that that guy was funny to me too is like he's you know, sometimes you see somebody on TV or you see them in a show or something and then you meet them in real life and you're like, OK, yeah, that's definitely an act. Gene is no different <laughs> than any show you've ever seen him on. He's so larger than life. And like he, he just when he talks, he has this way of saying something and it just it's 10 times more profound when he says it. You know, it's just crazy, man. Like, that's who he is. It's funny. Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. And just, like, you know, doing other stuff that they've done for years. Like, there was a thing as a makeup artist myself that I'm into that, too. And it was funny because you never realize these things. You think at their success that they would have somebody who does their makeup now. But yeah. they've done their makeup themselves for years. And he was doing, I think it was for a YouTube video or something, doing the uh, makeup on his daughter, on Sophie. And she was like, oh, my God, this looks terrible, Dad. How, how, why did you make it look gross? And he was like, Sophie, 
I've been doing it on myself for 40, 40 plus years. I'm used to doing it inward on myself and not outward to somebody else. <laughs> That's funny. He's like, I've come down to a science of how to make those lines of that iconic look over yeah. 40 plus years learning how to do it in the matter of like five minutes to get it how we wanted it for years. Right, right. Yeah, and that's like, I've thought about that too, is like, what a process, man, to go through that every single day, every single show, every TV appearance for, geez, how many years, man? That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. No thanks. Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. And just like you said, just with the high heels, all, the, all that weight of just, because I know you get sweaty on stage, you know, from just the small lights that I've done, like, yeah. imagine, I know, I just can imagine just all of that, you know, football gear pretty much on top of you while you're trying to, those hot ass lights. <laughs> yeah, and the, 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 in person, you see what the costumes are actually made out of, and it's like, my God, that's a lot of work, man, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, like, definitely spoiled i can just throw on a jean jacket and some vans and i'm good to go <laughs> yes now one thing i would ask you too now i know that you guys are like more recognizable now like have you ever went to a guitar center or something like that and they're like ooh, we're gonna we're gonna have anybody try to sell you some bass guitars <laughs> well you know honestly uh i don't really deal with much of that at all like I, I mean, I, I've been like maybe a handful of times out with my daughter, and, you know, and somebody will 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 recognize me from the band or something like that. But really, uh, the only guy in the band who really deals with a lot of like kind of recognition and people, you know, like, you know, going through Target or something and somebody walks up is Justin. Justin does has a lot of, you know, social media presence and um, he's really, really active with you know, doing stuff to promote online. And then of course he's, you know, very recognizable from being at the forefront of the videos and whatnot. So I think he, he, he handles it with such a, uh, uh, graciousness, you know, he's like really, really good with people. And he's also really good at making people feel good. You know what I mean? So when somebody that doesn't know him might be a little scared to say something to come up and talk to him, he's really good at just being warm and making them feel welcome. And I think that's a cool thing. Um, but, no, I, I've been really lucky in the sense that like with with bass and with guitars, like I've had some smaller, like more boutique manufacturers like reach out about making stuff for me. And I have quite a collection these days, man. I've got some beautiful instruments and I've got like um, there's a guy in Austin named Chris Cordova. He has he has a guitar company called CHC Guitars and he's made me several basses. Oh, and those things are man. Yeah. I love them. Oh, I just love them. And they're all different. And every single one of them has its own personality. And He's a local guy to me too. So like we built a friendship, you know, but um, I've been really lucky in that sense. I've had people give me some really nice stuff. There's there's a, also a company called Walla Walla and it's in Walla Walla, Washington. And they have these really cool guitars that have like old, like hundred year old barrel tops on them. Oh man, it's beautiful sounding. Beautiful. And they made a bass for me just cause they wanted to. And it's like a work of art, man. It's hanging in my studio and I'm like, I can't take that on the road. It'll get all banged. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, but I'm just so like, it's just, it's, it's pretty awesome, man. It means a lot to me, honestly. 
Oh, yeah. It's like every time I'm a big, big gearhead. So just when I go into Guitar Center, I'm like, there's so many that I want. And like seeing the Gretchens, you know, the old school 50s look, I'm like, I want that guitar, but I don't want to shred because I don't want to get blood on that guitar. <laughs> I don't want to get blood and sweat on that beautiful piece of work. <laughs> I, love, I love Gretsch, too. I'm a big fan. I've actually wanted a White Falcon bass for many years. I've never been fortunate enough to get one, but very cool. Uh, the my my gold I've seen I haven't seen them with the color but I want the Gretsch with the the little violin F's in it and the sea foam green I don't know why I just love yeah. that color in a guitar like I know it on on other things I'm like ah oh, that's great that sea foam green just speaks to me <laughs> right, right yeah no I'm I'm kind of that way I'm not like a big gold fan but I love gold guitars. I love gold top guitars, yes. gold basses with black pit guards. Like I have a few gold basses, gold and black. It's kind of a good color scheme to me, but like gold outside of the guitar realm isn't my thing. Like I'm not a big, I don't like gold jewelry or, you know, it's not really my thing, but with guitars, different story. Oh yeah. It's the same. Like I, I like tight ass stuff, but not like big, but one of my favorite designs, cause I guess it's just, he made it that famous, but just the the Gibson sunburst that Slash has, his his iconic oh, yeah. sunburst, that beautiful orange red sunburst is just beautiful, beautiful guitar. And oh. I've I've had one at my local guitar center, and I'm like, I like that, but I don't know about dropping three grand. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's like uh, exactly. uh, I think I was in my local shop recently for shits and giggles and i was like hey just uh, i want to see how much this guitar y'all have it for it's the uh the six string and the 12 string uh gibson uh double neck guitar oh nice there's a guy from uh i don't know if you i don't know if you played with them or not uh the guy from coheed and cambria oh yeah 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 great awesome welcome home he uses uh he uses that guitar and welcome home and i was like oh that is a beautiful because it's the sg double neck and i was like it's fucking beautiful. And I was like, how much shits and giggles? How much do y'all have for it at Guitar Center? And he was like, uh, we have one for 65. Not happening. 100 and then, oh, um, I'm looking more in like the 3000 range. I was like, I'm not trying to look to buy a car. <laughs> oh, man, some of them are out outrageous, man, especially you know, like the collector's grade stuff, you know. One of my favorite guitars, though, I love hollow body guitars. I love them. I'm a big hollow body. Oh, yes. But um, I really like the Epiphone Sheratons a lot, man. I mean, I love Gibsons. They're great. Oh, yeah. Sheraton's just such a classic looking and sounding guitar to me. Like, I'm I'm a big fan. And those are, especially for the price tag, those are some of the best instruments you can get, in my opinion. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've, I've played both. You know, I've played a Les Paul from Gibson, and I've played a Les Paul from Epiphone. And I'd have to say for the price point, there's not that much difference. And I so I always recommend them. Somebody's like, if you want a Les Paul, I'm like, go with Epiphone. It's like a triple less the price, and you get the same body yeah. by the Gibson pit guard to put on the Epiphone. <laughs> right. Well, and every, every you know every guitar is different too. That's another thing. Is sometimes you you know even though it's mass production and whatnot you know when you start getting in handmade instruments you're still going to have different you're going to have different wood and different quality and so sometimes like i've had bases that i've ordered offline and i'm like oh i had i played one of these and it was great and then i get it and i'm like this is a dud 
you know it's just yes it's not what i was hoping for and then i've had bases that are you know uh i had a squire i had actually a fender squire p base that was like i kick myself for getting rid of that thing it was a matt freeman actually it was the matt freeman model um from oh yes this was magnificent it like honestly it kicked my 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 american made fender p bass out of the water like it was amazing and uh you know but it was a squire you know you just never know they're all different that's why it's yes guitars you gotta play now have you tried or experimented with any of like fleas line of basses that he's came out with and i have yeah um so he's back with Fender now, actually. He's got two signature models. And I had the shell pink one. It's like a, it's basically like a reissue of his uh, 62. I think he had a 62 Jazz. And oh, man. Fender's version of that. And they're made in, 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 the, in the Mexico plant. They're made in Baja, but they're fin- just fantastic bases. Really, really cool, man. Like very, very true to like it looks a lot like his shell pink one right it's very similar same pick guard same scratches in the same spots i think the pickup different bridge and all that stuff but i had one of those and i loved it i thought it was really awesome honestly it was great and i love the getty lee too you know the the i haven't played the american made one but the japanese one's fantastic it's one of my favorite fender bases ever those two guys are like go-to bass bass people that i'm like if you want to play you know like listen to this or, you know like or i forget his name i think it's like winston that he doesn't get a lot of credit is the you know the bass player for the who like him and you know whistle they him and the other guy oh uh, hold on it cut out for just a second what'd you say uh john and whistle Yes, yes. I was gonna say I know it was a a whistle something in there. <laughs> yeah, whistle man. He's like was one of the absolute most iconic bass players of all time for sure. Fantastic player. Big fan. Oh yeah, I think uh, did you see him and uh, the uh, Townsend just played together in that the music video for Who Are You, where they're in the studio and you just see that dynamic where they're playing off each other and you're just like. Damn, that, that he's he most of the lines you thought were Townsend on guitar was him on bass, and you're like, wait, what? For that song, and it's crazy. There's some, you know, in situations like that too, when you play in a band together, you start to be able to know the next move. There becomes almost this telepathy between you as musicians. You know, it can be a really amazing thing for sure. There's a lot of that going on with those guys for sure. Oh yeah, I think that that podcast I was about they were talking about that like with Buck Owens and uh uh with what's the uh crap his name the guy that was playing with Buck all the time uh something uh something rich I forget his name uh but they would basically he would go okay watch this that he would be so same on sync with Buck Owens that they would go okay we're gonna play one guitar together at the same time. And he would say he was his right hand and they would literally he'd stand behind buck and then buck would play and then he'd come behind him they both play on the same guitar and just the rhythm and the syncrasy of those two guys without even you know, rehearsing it was just like right holy crap that's cool uh was it don rich yes don rich don rich yes don rich that played with buck quite a bit so yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I have to find the clip, but I, I, it was on that podcast, and I was like, wait, what? And yeah, and it was a little uh, a little skit that they would do. They just play the same guitar because they would just stand behind them and both play one guitar because they were so in sync. And I was like, dude, holy crap, the bond that the telepathy that you have to have to do something like that well, it sounded like two guitars playing at the same time right right that's cool that's very cool i love that i miss that about bands you know they used yes to bands or it was very much about like these days you get a lot of pop artists with whatever you know backup band you know they can pay the most <laughs> you know but i miss bands man i really do Oh, yeah, it's like that old thing that people are like, yeah, One Direction is just like the Beatles. And I'm like, no, yeah. One Direction would never be the Beatles. I was like, the Beatles actually played their own music and used instruments. <laughs> yeah, there you go, for sure. Now, did you have, I always ask everybody, because I consider myself a Beatles historian. Yeah. I have all, all their memorabilia crap. Were you influenced by them or by Paul McCartney's bass playing or just how he, you know, transformed the bass? Absolutely, man. So my dad was a massive Beatles fan, and I feel like I owe a lot to my dad's record collection. Like, growing up, whatever, that huge stack of records he had were, you know, kind of the soundtrack to my childhood, and the Beatles were probably at least half of that. You know, all the Beatles albums, my dad was a big fan. And Paul, to me, I feel like Paul, because he is such a great singer, lyricist, and bass player, and because when he was crafting his bass lines, the electric bass was still a relatively new thing, you know, yes. the Hofner bass, like, that's pretty old school, man, you know, so like, I feel like he wasn't trying to live within the confines of like, okay, just play the root, keep it simple, like a lot of people do that now. But back then, he wasn't thinking that way. He was just thinking, okay, well, how do I complement my vocal? Or how do I create a counter melody that highlights certain things about my vocal and then how do I switch back and forth and keep it interesting and groovy and so Paul to me has written just not only some of the most iconic bass lines ever and had the best tone always loved Paul's tone you know it's so just warm and fat and punchy and cool um but I really liked a lot of the like more psychedelic Beatles era you know um yes my dad was really into the early Beatles and that was cool. But then when I started getting more into like a day in the life is my favorite Beatles song ever, you know, like, I, yes. Oh God. I love that song. I love that song. I love the whole dynamics and I love how it just, just totally changes course, you know, in the middle of the song and you're like, Whoa, is this the same song? I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, everybody love, of course, love Sergeant Pepper and, you know, but, um, that was like the music that spoke to me more, you know, like um, I know Rubber Soul is a great record, too. But I'm definitely more of like I think like the most the psychedelic era was probably the stuff that I did the most. You know? Oh, yeah. They, they like, all the experimental like on the White Album, just like all the weird shit. They're like, hey, you know, this like weird fucking demo. Let's do this and try something else. Like they just released that like number nine. It's just that that just makes me laugh that so they're like. John just repeating number nine over and over again just the same line like okay we can make this a single just because we know people will buy it because of who you are <laughs> right yeah it's funny I you know I actually got to see Fish perform the entire White Album in the 90s oh man it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen man it was unreal yes yes that that's one thing too I'm trying to I'm trying my hardest 
that to get a hold of either. I want to try to get one of those two guys, either Paul or Ringo, before they're gone. Yeah, there you go, man. Hardest. So I'm trying more for Ringo because I'm probably thinking he's more accessible than Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Paul's probably try pretty hard to get in touch with. But one of my favorite, um, and I love George Harrison by the way too. Always been a big fan. Of yes, yes, yes. He um he was phenomenal. His son's actually a really great musician as well. Danny Harrison is phenomenal. I love his work. I've been getting more and more into him lately, but. Um, one of my favorite things ever, I feel like it was when Paul, there was just that you got to see another side of Paul McCartney was when he did SNL with Chris Farley and Chris Farley did the sketch where he's like the nervous host of the show, you know, and he's interviewing Paul and seeing Paul trying not to laugh during that whole thing was like, <laughs> it's still one of my favorite. It's just one of my favorite, like moments of Paul McCartney ever because it was like here's this guy who everybody in the world worships and looks up to and has so much respect for as a musician a songwriter and just being kind of an icon who just had this like total moment of humanity you know with Chris Farley of all people and it was like man he's also funny you know like how can you not like this guy you know it's like this oh yeah I Dave Grohl like see if you don't like Dave Grohl like you just need to go away you're just, yes you're not doing <laughs> you know oh yeah I think he has a story about like when he's doing a documentary with Paul and he's like I think Paul like playing around jumps into Dave's arms and Dave's like in my head I'm thinking holy shit yeah I'm holding Paul McCartney in my arms and then realizing holy shit, I'm holding Paul McCartney in my arms. If I drop this man and something happens, I'm dead. The world is going to kill me. <laughs> That's so funny. He's a great one, too. Like I, Dave is amazing. Have you guys ever got to play with the Foo Fighters? Or No, we never have, man. That's one one band that we've just never been able to link up with for whatever reason. I, I, I It's definitely bucket list for me, for sure. I hope it happens someday. Oh yeah, uh, that's another because uh, I know you like the music docs. Have you seen his documentary that him and his mom did uh, called Cradle? I think it's called Cradle to Stage. Yes, very. And good. about his, yeah. uh, love that documentary. And then uh, the one, the going back to the Beatles one with like seeing the humanity. I'm looking forward to. I can't remember if it's out yet. That new uh, Peter Jackson documentary about the Beatles. Oh, where no. it's all the yeah. Oh yeah, I I can't I can't remember what the name is. I had to look. It's on. I think it's supposed to be on Hulu. I think it's supposed to be dropping on Disney Plus. It's supposed to be on Disney Plus. Oh no! And it's basically all the behind the scenes of them. You know, just you know, fucking around, making jokes and pranking each other, and then seeing them write the songs behind the scenes. And it's a lot of that seeing the humanity of this band that everybody is like. They're gods, you know, and yeah. you get to see the behind the scenes of like, these are real people who had fuck ups, you know, had real lives. And it's I'm looking forward to that documentary. And it's, that's really cool. I have to find it. Send you the link. Like I said, it's not, I think it's on Disney Plus. It's by Peter Jackson. Uh, well, I'm a big Peter Jackson fan, like back to like Meet the Feebles, Lord of the Rings. Like I'm a massive fan. So I didn't even know he was doing that. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, let me uh, check real quick. I can look it up for you so you can get the title. <laughs> Disney Plus too, so that's a good thing. Okay, it's called the the Beatles Get Back. That's okay. what it's called. And cool. It says it drops uh, 
on November 25th. Okay, cool. Very cool. Awesome. I thought it was earlier than that. I guess they had a relay because it was supposed to be, I think, like September. And I guess they moved it back to November for some delays. But I'm like, take your time. I want this to be, take your time. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's right, man. For sure. That's cool. And we know all, we know how Peter Jackson is when it comes to his stuff. Like he yeah. has his vision. So if he, if he has to wait three more months, he's going to get it the way he wants it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah, man. So with that as well, like with those influences, like, a question I ask everybody, this is the hot seat of the show. Sure. What are some of like your fandoms or like some of the stuff that like you're you're big on or that you're focused on? Like it's like I said, the Beatles, it can be music stuff. It doesn't have to be like geeky stuff or you know, like shows, but like what's, what are some of the things that it like you liked like that you like TV shows or movies or like I just love yeah. Stuff. yeah. <laughs> Ultra stuff, man. So I uh okay, here's like what I'm really into, uh, I love podcasts. Um, I like true crime podcasts. Uh, I'm really, really, uh, so I, I grew up a, a pretty hardcore Detroit Lions fan and um, it's been a, a rough life. Um, <laughs> terrible my whole life, but I've never given up. And so I'm still loyal to this day. Uh, Matt Stafford is my hero and now he's with the Rams. So I have to root for the Rams. Um, but as far as like TV shows, bands, music, like I like a lot, and, and I know this is like the lame answer, but when it comes to music, I like so many different things. It's hard for me to narrow it down to just one thing, but I, I'm a really big fan musically of like, um, bands like Queens of the Stone Age and, uh, middle-class rut and bands who really kind of marry like croony vocals with like really, really gnarly, fuzzy guitars and groove, you know, um, I got recently really got turned on to Mother Mother. I like Fantagram. Um, I grew up on Fishbone. Yes, yes. And like, you know, I like a lot of different stuff, but um, but I'm a massive Walking Dead fan. I absolutely love The Walking Dead. I like I've been watching it for years and years and years. And I'm like, I wa I actually have AMC premiere so I can watch the episode a whole week in advance. Um, a friend of mine is actually a reaper on this season, which is super cool. Oh. Uh, he got, he got cast in season, which is awesome. But so then I watched the, you know, the spinoff fear of the walking dead, uh, walking dead world beyond. Like I just, I'm a big, I'm really into all that. I love all Greg Nicotero's work too. I love horror. I love scary movies. I love gory movies. Like I always have, I just really, really into it. Greg Nicotero as a special effects guy and as a director is one of my heroes. And then outside of that, I actually really like to read. Like I said, I love music biographies and autobiographies. And um, a really good one uh, actually is, um, and I'll see if I can find a picture of it, but my friend Lindsay, who's the bass player for the band, Cold. I don't know if you know Cold. Or Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she just put this book out. So she released this. July of uh, of last year, but it's called Unfuckwithable. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Really good. I ordered one and I read it very quickly because it was really, really good. But I love the message, like being, you know, being a fellow bass player in a rock band, like I could relate obviously to a lot of what she was saying, but I just, I liked how positive it was. And especially like it coming out during COVID, I thought was very appropriate. But like, um, I, li I li like stuff like that. 
you know, I like seeing people express themselves and put it into 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 art for sure. Awesome, awesome. Now, I'm here in Georgia where they film Walking Dead. Have you been to Sonoya where they film it? I haven't, man. I have to though. I gotta. Do oh, it. it's so great. Uh, my girlfriend, we did that on like a vacation thing. We went. It's like an hour and a half from where we live, and they have it where you like you see this small town city, and you're like. Oh, this is so pretty. And then you walk to the end and then it's just you see Alexandria where they had the big giant what? barricades and the metal oh, things. And like there's yes. two cars that are crashed into each other from like one of the early seasons. Yeah. And you just go around. And it's it's great. Like we uh, I had to find that uh, there's a, a shirt that I have that I, I love it. It's got a guitar on it, but it's uh, Greg Nicotero and uh, Norma Reedus have a, a restaurant there called Nick and Norm's. Wow. They serve, serve bison burgers and they and they serve like rock and roll merch. Oh man, I've got to do that. This is like you're giving me some really valuable knowledge right now, man. Really... Oh yeah, it's uh, you just look up Sonoya, Georgia. It's like I said, it's just a small little city. That's they film a lot of stuff there. Like I think Fried Green Tomatoes was filmed there. I think like yeah. a couple other you know southern movies were filmed. But yeah, The Walking Dead is there. They're a money maker right now. <laughs> yeah, I bet, man. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you like that stuff too, there's a, a I, episode I did with the. I don't know if you ever watched the the series Face Off on Sci-Fi. No. Where I they do like the special effects contest. Well, okay. I, I'm good friends with a contestant on there, Roy Woolley, and he's a special effects makeup artist, and he worked with like guys like Dick Smith, and he met Rick Baker, and wow. so he's worked with a lot of the legends. So if, if you're into the, you know, like. The special effects horror makeup and stuff like that. I'll have to send you a link for his episode because oh, he was awesome. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, I met him when I was like 15, and he kind of was like, "Hey, as a young kid, it's like, here's my number. I see you're interested in this field. Here's yeah. my number if you have any questions." And now being 26, like I just was like, "Hey, man, I got a podcast now. Would you want to come on? Like, That's I'm cool. gonna promote you because you helped me like through my process of learning special effects." And he was like, "I'm honored." So, yeah, he's my go-to guy for special effects. Like, I think he was the the backup for doing, like, on Gardens of Galaxies, like, all of uh, Drax's chess pieces. Oh, He wow. was the, the backup one that put on the stunt double because apparently Legacy, who runs all that with Marvel, does Dave. And then him and his team, they do all the the people who are not Dave, basically his stunt doubles makeup. Got it, got it. Very so, cool. So, yeah, He's a he's a awesome. Like I said, worked with Dick Smith is the guy. Pretty much, he's worked with him. He's the guy basically who created you know all the Universal monsters in the 1930s. So he was his mentor back when he started doing it. So that story with Dick Smith is amazing. That's if awesome. you like, I said, if you're into that, yeah, for sure. Thanks for coming on again, man. Yeah, it's always yeah. This is a pleasure, man. It, it was good getting to hang again and talk again, and I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm very grateful, man. Thank you so much. Um, I'm I'm really man. I think I mentioned this before. I'm so bad at social media. I really got to get better about. This. <laughs> uh, but I I'm on Instagram and it's just my name. It's just Matt Noveski. Um, I do keep a lot. You know, it, I, I do a lot of posts as far as like what I'm up to, as far as working with new artists and studio from the road, things like that. Um, but I'm I'm not on Facebook or, or Twitter or any or TikTok or anything else. Um, but uh, the studio, which we actually just went through some pretty – we're going to update the website. We just went through some pretty big changes at the studio, which are all really good. Um, but the studio is just www.orbrecordingstudios.com. It's Orb Recording Studios with an S on the end, .com. And then uh, 
the studio uh, Instagram is Orb Studios ATX. So it's just ORB Studios ATX. That's the handle for that. And then, of course, with the band uh, Blue October, um, you can find us everywhere. Blue October Band, uh, Blue October Band on Instagram. And then I have, uh, I'm in a couple other projects. I'm in one called Harvard of the South. I'm in another project called The Joy Thieves. And then I have my own project called Icarus Bell. And it's uh, me and one of my best friends in the world. It's just the two of us. And I uh, write and play bass, guitar, and sing. One is my own project. It's called Icarus Bell. It's uh, just Icarus, I-C-A-R-U-S-B-E-L-L. And we have a website, Icarus Bell Official. And we've got... Uh, Icarus Bell official is our Instagram as well, and that's my project with uh, with my really close friend Alan, my drummer, and um, he would say I'm his bassist, but uh, he and I do <laughs> bring in a bunch of different cameos. We had like Bumblefoot, you know, who used to be in Guns N' Roses, played on us. Oh so man! A bunch of our friends like coming in and doing cameos with us, and but he and I have released a few songs now, and um, I've got. Um, a few a few songs out on Spotify and 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 uh, iTunes and all that, and um, we got a couple videos out as well. So go give go check it out. And I actually sing on that, so it's different. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We'll get to hear that voice you got. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Awesome. All right, everyone. That's going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad podcast. Would you like to share our outro? Enjoy the madness. Hey guys, this is Matt Noveski, and you're listening to the Fandom Squad Podcast. You are now leaving the Fandom Squad Podcast. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.